with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, China has announced measures to boost domestic consumption and the private sector. How effective will these new measures be? And we will also take a look at the eurozone economy, which avoid a recession through the rest of the year. And now let's begin with our top story. China has unveiled 20 new measures to boost domestic consumption. The country's top economic planner has vowed to stabilize spending on big-ticket items, expand service consumption, and optimize the overall spending environment. CGTN's Chen Mengfei reports. 20 measures to boost recovery and expand consumption were released on Monday by the National Development and Reform Commission, China's state planner, emphasizing big-ticket purchases in automobile and real estate and promoting services and rural consumption. The document aims to prioritize the fundamental role of consumption in economic growth. Give full play to the basic role of consumption in stimulating economic growth. Promoting consumption is currently the key to restoring and expanding demand. At a press conference held on Monday, officials from various ministries and administrations emphasized promoting big-item purchases such as electronic devices, automobiles, and home appliances. As one example, authorities encouraged more electronic devices for the elderly, as well as the buying of new cars. The second-hand market and car racing industries will also be promoted. Officials said these areas are the government's focal points, and several rounds of measures have already been released since last year, including the continuation of tax breaks on new energy vehicles, strengthening the tourism and dining sectors, enhancing consumer rights protection, and improving rural consumption will also be key. And with more about China's economy, we are joined by Yan Liang, professor of economics at Villamet University, and also Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Yan, first of all, how important is domestic consumption for China's economy this year? And what's your main takeaway from the new measures to boost the consumption? Yeah, good to talk to you, Zhao Yang.、Um, so I think consumption is very important because when you look at the demand side of the economy,、uh, the investment demand, especially from the private sector, has been、uh, slow.、Um, the public investment has gone up by over eight、uh, percent, you know,、uh, year to day. But the private investment has been pretty sluggish,、uh, largely because of the real estate sector. Um, and then when you look at exports,、um, now net exports still account for about two percent of China's GDP,、uh, which is a very healthy and good boost、uh, from the demand side. But given that the international economy remains to be weak and demand remains to be weak,、uh, we still need to try to find the domestic source of demand, and that's that's why、uh, consumption demand is very important, and it has contributed to the majority of GDP growth so far this year. But there are some signs that the、uh, consumption demand, the momentum has slowed down.、Um, for example, when we look at the retail sales number, it has grew only by about three percent in June. So I think um, now um, the government is hoping to use these measures to boost consumption. 
Mm. So, Ina, these twenty new measures include goals of stabilizing the spending of the big ticket items, expanding service consumption, etc., etc. So, how will they really help to achieve the country's goal of、uh, economic growth in the second half of this year? Do you think? Well, you have to keep in mind that、uh, savings are at an all-time high.、Uh, so, despite everything that you know,、uh, Yan was talking about,、uh, there is the ability to consume. A lot of it、uh, is, you know. Kind of concentrated in the middle class, so pushing big-ticket items like houses,、uh, making sure that especially first-time housing buyers can、um, get you know access to affordable mortgages, etc. Also, cars, EV sector,、mm. um, very important in terms of getting that going. But one of the items that I thought was、um, Very, very、uh, interesting, and I, I think will be helpful. Is their push in the rural uh, revitalization? Uh, they're still concerned about poverty.、Uh, they don't want it to slip back. And what they're doing uh, to aid uh, farmers um, and businesses in the rural area is making it easier for them to get to market, both in terms of selling over the internet and also the logistics of moving、uh, their goods、uh, from their homes or farms to markets where they can get、um, more money directly.、Uh, Uh, small, medium-sized business entities like this are really the backbone of China, and、uh, not only China, the entire world. So, because I do think that over the long run, that is、uh, what really makes a difference, especially when it comes to employment and disposable income. Hmm. Ina, so the plan also covered the housing sector. So, what do you make of the discussions in optimizing the policies in the property market while tackling financial risk in the broader economy? Well, it's they're they're walking a tightrope. They want to keep housing prices stable, but at the same time encourage、um, you know people to buy homes.、Uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity there. They've、uh, created a REIT structure,、uh, real estate investment trust,、mm. um, which will allow you know, uh, basically uh, investments over a broader range. Instead of investing in one、uh, real estate project, you can have many. Um, and then you can also use them to hold properties and things like this. But the important thing is that they're trying to make sure that the、um, existing stock of houses that were on the plan that people were buying or interested in can, in fact, be finished and then delivered、uh, to customers.、Um, very important. I mean, the、uh, getting a house in China, just as everywhere else in the world, is the key to building,、um, you know, financial security. Uh, and that's very, very important when you're trying to push a larger and larger middle class、uh, over the long run.、Uh, this is definitely the right way to do. And yeah, also earlier this week, China introduced 28 new measures to bolster the private economy. So, what do you think are the essential factors in creating a level playing field for them? Right. I think this is very important. I think the private sector definitely could have a boost. Um, from you know both specific rhetorics from the authorities, but also from measures as you just mentioned. So these measures included you know including the free assets or fair assets、um, uh, for these private enterprises to participate in some of the national science and technology projects,、um, and other measures include you know offering stronger financial support and boost legal guarantees and optimize business services and also to try to create a sound atmosphere. Um, for private enterprises, and as we all know, private enterprises are very important—a key、uh, participant in the market economy.、Um, not to mention, you know, they they contributed seventy percent of you know in innovations and R and D spending. And so, if China 
um, does wanted to embark on you know innovation driven productivity led growth then enterprise private enterprises would play a very critical role so i think it makes sense um, to really boost the confidence and give a clear guideline um, to these private enterprises to encourage them to participate in some of the profitable um, and you know sunrise industries and going back to the consumption boost i agree with aina i think the emphasis on you know providing more consumer loans for car purchases, extend you know, incentives for vehicle purchases, um, building more EV charging stations, and so on and so forth, are very important um, from a supply side point of view to boost consumption. And I agree there is wealth accumulation. Um, so people in some ways do have the means, at least some of them do have the means to continue to spend. So I think a lot of these packages, the policies are trying to work at multiple fronts to boost the confidence of the private enterprises. And by way of doing that, it also helped to inject a you know, sense of confidence for the households, the consumers. Mm. And so Aina, so for the small giants and high-tech enterprises, what do you think can be done to protect their intellectual property rights? Well, uh, first off, the China has one of the best records now uh, in terms of companies uh, protecting, I mean, in terms of the government protecting companies' IP. If you talk to uh, European American uh, companies that are actually here in China, they will tell you that it's much easier. Um, because in the U.S., Europe, it can take years and years mm. uh, to establish and prosecute your claim or defend a claim. And, and that eats up a lot of time and money. Whereas in China, it's very, very efficient. Uh, in terms of uh, protecting it, it's, it really is uh, making sure that people understand the process itself, that they're making timely um, applications for their uh, patents, copyrights, etc., uh, and, and doing that. But you know, I would like to add on to what Jan said. I agree with everything she said. But what people need to pay attention to is these 28 uh, measures came in uh, two weeks after there was a central planning uh, uh, meeting. And they just said, look, uh, this is what we're going to do. So, you know, you compare the speed at which China reacts uh, to the situation versus, you know, the U.S., Europe. Uh, China's side, uh, they've been very, very cautious about uh, rolling out uh, these stimuluses. I think that was, is probably the right way. People say, oh, just throw money at it. Well, that hasn't worked for the United States. It certainly hasn't worked for Europe. You're not kind of seeing the kind of gains that you would have expected, uh, given the amount of money that was on. And it added to their inflation. I think China's learning from that. Mm. And I know so the role of the platform economy has also been highlighted in this new measures to support the private economy. So how do you think can China strike a balance between encouraging the healthy development of the uh, platform enterprises and ensuring the fair competition in the market? Well, it's it's a balancing act, um, and the only way to do it is through regulation and then checking. Uh, mm. You you don't want um, monopolies uh, coming up, but on on the other hand, you do want uh, businesses to feel free that they have a growth uh, trajectory uh, that they can fulfill and allows them to get additional capital. Uh, so it always comes down to how you view the markets uh, from China's perspective. Always policy is on top. It is the welfare of the people as a whole that matters. Uh, it, the you know the market itself is a tool to accomplish uh, what they're trying to do. So, you know there there's always going to be this uh, you know kind of tug of war between uh, which way you go, and it's not something that is static, it's dynamic. As things change, uh, the government has to re, uh, react to that. And that's, as I was saying before, that's one of the uh, better 
uh, things that China has going for it is this ability to look at the economics and then to uh, make a decision on how best uh, to change uh, mm. the situation. Mm. And yeah, so many foreign companies are now announcing the deals to increase their investment in China. For example, Volkswagen invested 700 million US dollars in the Chinese EV maker Xiaopeng. So what complementary strengths do they have? Foreign investors are still very keen in investing in China, especially in the high-tech industries, in the whole green product supply chain. And I think looking forward to the long-term prospect um, of China's you know, tech, tech sector. And that's why you see many of the companies are coming to China and you look at you know, China, uh, foreign investment into the uh, tech sector has gone up by a lot compared to just the average um, foreign investment increase. Um, so I think, you know, this shows the confidence of the markets um, to China's innovability over the long term and its economic prospect in the long term. Now, in terms of the uh, complementarity, I think foreign investors still have the long term, uh, you know, in some ways advantages because they have been uh, playing a leading role in some of these markets, um, for example, in automobiles um, mm. in many years. Foreigner, foreign brands are highly recognized and they're respected in some ways um, because they're high quality and reliable services, etc. Um, even though these, in the most recent years, I think the Chinese brands are really overtaking some of these European brands. But still, I think there's definitely room for win-win cooperation mm. um, for these, um, you know, uh, enterprises to cooperate and, and make some joint you know, efforts um, to both improve the technologies and services um, of their car manufacturing and sales, uh, but also try to explore, you know, more markets. Um, I think there are different markets, um, different levels of markets that, you know, these companies could definitely work together. Um, for example, some of the high-end markets, some of the German brands still have the appeal, um, but for some of the more average and, um, you know, middle class kinds of vehicles, China definitely has a lot stronger um, advantages. Um, so I definitely think there is the win-win uh, cooperation kinds of um, arrangements. Um, I just wanted to make one just clarification. Um, I think I'm not vouching for you know cash handouts either when it comes to um, the support for consumers. Uh, for me, you know, with the high level of, for example, youth unemployment, um, there are definitely cyclical and structural reasons. And I think the much better uh, approach to this is direct job creations. Um, so this would in some ways help to contain the inflationary pressure um, because you know providing jobs to young people not only helps to boost the demand, but also help to supply, uh, increase the supply side. So it's not just like the US or other European countries simply giving cash handouts and boost demand, but not supply. Um, mm. And I think giving jobs for young people, um, you know, really making them, uh, you know, play out their full potential. I think it's great for China. College graduates, they could do great um, for China's economy and society. Mm. And Aina, so when we look at the uh, performance of the new energy vehicle really standing out. So how do you see the momentum and how competitive are they on the global market? Well, very competitive, and uh, I'd like to add that that's why Volkswagen uh, and other uh, companies are coming here and trying to do tie-ups with Chinese companies. Uh, Chinese companies have the production capabilities and the lower cost. Uh, I was um, a senior executive at an unnamed German uh, car company said, look, you know, in terms of EVs, um, the Chinese can put out an EV that is equal to what we put out, except it's only one-third of the cost. 
Uh, and, and that's a reality. So uh, they're looking to um, not only have an entranceway into the Chinese market, which is huge, but also uh, globally in, in terms of competition, they need to tie up uh, and surf the wave as opposed to try to fight it. Mm. So very, very important as they go forward. And I completely agree with Ian, uh, this idea of of trying to create jobs. I think I would take it one step further and ask a lot of these kids to go out to rural areas. A, a the cash burn is less. It's, you know, the standard, um, the cost of living if you're in a smaller village is, is minuscule compared to what it is in uh, Shanghai or Beijing. Um, and there are so many social needs that need to be addressed with elderly, uh, with education. Uh, I think this would be a prime opportunity to use these very intelligent, uh, capable young people and give them a, a chance to understand the society that they're in, that their privilege in terms of going to these uh, universities and educational institutions, um, that they should never forget the fact that there are so many uh, people in need. Um, once that uh, idea is put in somebody's head, um, it can really change the way that they view society and the way they're going to work uh, mm. for society. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, a senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Yan Liang, a professor of economics at Willamette University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the Eurozone economy. Stay with us. D-Dine, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Official data shows that the Eurozone economy returned to positive growth between March and June. The gross domestic product, or GDP, rose by 0.3% in the second quarter compared to the previous three months. And headline inflation for the Eurozone fell to 5.3% in July. The European Central Bank raised the interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point to 3.75% last Mars. So, Aina, the European Central Bank's rate hike was its uh, nice consecutive increase. So, do you think the ECB has a clear view of the path ahead regarding the interest rate and tackling the inflation? No, they don't, because they're uh, often just reacting to the U.S. Uh, Fed increases. So they, you know, they're constantly looking west to see what, uh, you know, that is going to happen in the U.S. Because they have no choice to defend their currencies. Uh, they need to uh, get in there and and raise rates uh, appropriately. Um, the, yes, the inflation is there. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily due to the ECB. I, I think there's a lot of deindustrialization happening in Germany, and there's a tremendous tremendous amount of harm that's going to be caused by this. Um, you know, projects are going undone because simply the cost of finance is too high. I see them as completely reactive at, the, at this juncture. And unfortunately, there's no end in sight because they're, uh, they don't feel that the, they're in control of their own uh, economy. And so, yeah, the Eurozone GDP grew by 0.3% in the quarter two. This is better than the previous quarter where there was stagnation. But there is a significant variability, right? The German economy, for example, was stagnating rather than growing. So how much of a concern is the German economy, do you think, which is uh, the powerhouse economy of the EU? 
Right. So I think for EU, um, the positive growth rate thanks uh, largely to you know France and and Spain. Uh, that register 0.5% and 0.4% uh, growth rate, respectively. Um, and for the Eurozone, taken in total, the number is a little bit skewed because of Irish's GDP uh, growth. Mm. Um, and there are some, you know, uh, one-time uh, adjustments because of the transfer of intellectual properties and so on and so forth. So if we exclude the Irish GDP growth rate, the eurozone's uh, growth rate would have been only half of that 0.3% growth rate. So what that means is that, as you mentioned, um, the growth is better than expected, but it's still relatively sluggish. And Germany and Italy are, of course, not doing very well. Um, and I think for Spain and, and France, um, they were growing thanks to export growth. Um, for France, they handed over a, a cruise line to Swiss uh, a Swiss company that boosts their exports by 2.6%, and therefore, and, you know, their growth is better. Um, and Spain was, uh, you know, helped by tourism spending. But I think in over in the overall situation, the inflation rate has trended down, especially for you know non-Germany countries. And we can see the energy and food costs have not contributed uh, too much now um, for the domestic price. But there's some concern about their service. Inflation is creeping up and corporations are record, uh, recording, you know, large profit margins and that could make inflation relatively, you know, uh, sticky. So I think the ECB is still looking at all these overall situations where inflation is still relatively sticky and, and uh, stubborn. Um, the unemployment rate stood at relatively low at 5.9% as a sort of a historical low. So I think they believe they still have the room to push forward um, more rate hikes. Although there are some concerns, like, you know, again, the country's growth rate is pretty sluggish, mm. that they may skip the September uh, rate hikes. But that, again, remains to be seen. Um, it is a, you know, different, difficult balancing act um, where I think now they're really worried about domestic um, sources of inflation, which they believe, you know, could be used, could, could use tighten, uh, tight monetary policy to fight against. But I agree with Aina. I think there's also external influences. Um, there's also um, other concerns about, you know, how to deal with their service uh, inflation, their service price hikes. Mm. Um, so I think it remains to be seen if the interest rate is going to be increased and what inflate, uh, what the interest rate impacts are actually going to be. Um, because I think it's it's really concerning that the the impact of high interest rates could really wear down on the economy over a longer period of time. So, you know, the negative impacts remain to be seen. Mm. So, Aina, so what do you think about the German economy? Is that a concern for you? Or, you know, the, within the Eurozone, there is a lot of uh, variability, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're deindustrializing right now. I mean, you start looking at, uh, you know, BASF. They've moved, they basically closed their plants in Germany and they moved them uh, abroad, uh, one of them being uh, moved to uh, China as a, uh, a source. It's simply because it's not because they want to, it's that they don't have any choice. They cannot produce uh, their goods at a profitable rate if they stay in Germany. And you're, you're seeing this in other areas. Now, uh, despite that, uh, in uh, 
the job market is fairly robust. They have very low in employment. But if you start looking uh, at it, it's um, the kind of jobs that are being offered are not on the high end. They're like, it's like America. You know, if you're willing to be a busboy or you know uh, take tickets at a theater, uh, yes, mm. there are plenty of jobs out there. And one, and I, I go back to this again. If you look at America and Europe, you'll see that the areas where you've had the largest increases in terms of wages have been in service sectors that are unconnected to productivity, which means that they're transfer payments. And this is one of the greatest weaknesses that the developed economies are facing. And so far, there's been no action to deal with it. Uh, you know, pressing down rates doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick as much or that you don't need to go to school. Um, there's so many uh, aspects that they cannot control just purely on the other side. They're going to have to readjust their economies uh, in order to bring them into line. And uh, so far, I don't see that happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so despite the encouraging economic data in Eurozone, there are signs that the region could be heading towards stagnation for the rest of the year. So do you think the Eurozone will avoid recession for the rest of the year? I think that to a great extent really depends on how German uh, how Germany uh, is going to fare for the rest of the uh, the rest of the year, and it also has a lot to do with if ECB is going to continue with rate hikes in September or not. Uh, Ms. Lagarde was pretty optimistic, and she projected that the uh, EU is going to grow at 0.9 percent uh, for the entire year, um, but that you know, expectation may well for sure in reality, depending on, again, Germany's situation. I think what is very different for Germany than many of the European countries is when you look at their CPI and their mm. core CPI, which means, you know, when you look at the inflation, including the energy and food prices compared to without, many of the European countries is faring better when it comes to core CPI uh, numbers. But Germany is the, the reverse. You know, if they continue to be battered by, you know, energy cost um, and the, the shortage, then as Aina point out, that could really weigh onto their economy in the longer, longer term in terms of deindustrialization and, and so on and so forth. And also in terms of, you know, how they envision their, their, their energy policy is going to be uh, in the near and long term. Um, and then the second point, of course, as I mentioned, is if ECB is going to continue the rate hikes or not, um, because now I think um, really what caused inflation domestically in these many of these European countries have to do with the corporate profit margin. Um, so that is not necessarily can be addressed by rate hikes um, because rate hikes is mostly to reduce, you know, wage growth, to reduce demand. Mm. But if it's a seller inflation, um, then these rate hikes would not be very effective and they would completely just, you know, um, do the opposite. Um, they would also weaken the economy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to answer your question, it remains to be seen how Germany is going to do and also how ECB is going to react um, in the next uh, race cycles. Well, that was Yan Liang, Professor of Economics at Velimat University and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.